fact, I had a tape recorder when I was a tween. And in retrospect, all those recordings were obscene. But now I'm an adult and I can laugh at myself. Why not play them for someone else? These are the tapes and I hope you enjoy A slice of nostalgia through the ears of a boy Travel back in time with a familiar sound Let's all get lost and rewound Episode 3, The Connecticut Special With an interview with Ben Anderson Hey, welcome everybody This is Lost and Rewound I am Elon I am Jimmy, a.k.a. The Hoff. And together we are on... And off. Brilliance! And joining us, as always, is the lovely announcer slash social media maven slash, because you never have enough slashes, sociological voice of reason, Melissa Lloyd. I think you're just going to keep giving me new titles every week just for funsies to see where this goes. Absolutely. Cupcake queen. (laughs) King of the roadways. (laughs) You say that. One week I'll show up to this, I'll bring cupcakes. I'm not going to complain. For those who are unfamiliar with what we're about to unleash onto you, here's a rundown. I used to carry a handheld tape recorder around with me during my middle school years of the mid-90s. These recordings have gone almost entirely unheard until now. Jimmy, along with Melissa here, will be listening with fresh ears and provide commentary as we dive into the rough and raw sounds of old media, specifically that of the cassette tape variety. Ultimately, we hope to achieve absolute humility as we come to grips with the sounds of our youth and attempt to connect the dots between then and now. Let's begin. Hello, this is Yuan, and we're watching the movie Searching for Bobby Fish. It's actually a pretty good movie so far. Last year, we also saw three other movies before. Crunnings, The Air Up There, and Beethoven's Second... Yeah, okay, so let's see. Yeah, oh, I know what you're thinking. There are also movies. Okay, see so yeah, bye. Searching for Bobby Fischer? Searching for Bobby Fischer! You don't remember that movie at all? I, I actually, honestly, don't really remember who Bobby Fischer was. I remember the name and it being a thing, but I don't actually remember the Bobby Fischer story. Isn't he the, uh, the chess player, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. Was he the best in the world? So, Searching for Bobby Fischer, from what I remember, was basically just this kid who was tr- was a chess prodigy, and so the movie was basically him going around the world playing in chess tournaments and eventually winning. But it was like Searching for Bobby Fischer was more like sort of tapping into his chess chi, if you will. So it's be all about how to be the best chess player, or how he, uh... or something. Yeah. Is he was Bobby Fischer from like New England? Because I was thinking, and I know, especially as a kid, you always copy things that you hear. And I feel like when you said, hey, Bobby Fischer, like that to me, it must be him as a kid somewhere. And I'm like, you're never going to make it, Bobby Fischer. You only work two bits, see? Like, it was just that kind of thing. Bobby Fischer. <laughs> it's weird because chess was a totally alien activity for me. Still to this day, I really don't know how to play chess. And I obviously could learn and be a proficient uh, against maybe like a five-year-old, but you know. That's about the best I can do. And I finally learned somewhere along the lines, I think in high school. Yeah, I think it was high school by the time I finally learned. I mean, I'm a decent chess player, but yeah, like people who get really into chess and are really good at chess are freakishly good. I mean, they're like five moves ahead. And I'm like, oh, I think I'll move this guy here. And then they just like, I'm like, how did I just lose? I move, okay. 
board games in general, I think, were pretty much the rage when you, when we were in middle school between chess and um, magic. Uh, Pogs. All these games were. Oh God. Oh Pogs. Pogs. The, 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 that that really stayed very much encapsulated in '90s. Like it it uh, it, it didn't leave the '90s. Magic well, continues for some reason. Pogs did not. Magic does not. Yeah, end Magic's either. one of those ones though that has a cult following. Like people go to conventions and play Magic all weekend and strategize and have their like. People get into Magic. Well, I want to roll it back to Pogs. Like. <laughs> I really liked my Pogs. They had, like, you know, cool designs on them and stuff. And I remember one time, and this was, like, one of the first real things that happened to me as a kid. I remember, like, this was a big deal. Uh, I was in elementary, and some kid was like, yo, let's play for keeps. And I didn't get that at the time. I didn't understand Whoa. what he was talking about. Yeah, so we played, and he, like, whooped my ass. So afterwards, I was like, I lost all these Pogs. And he was like, well, they're mine now. And I'm like, what do you mean they're yours? And he's like, well, we was playing for keeps. And he like explained it to me. I was like, that's not fun at all. Why, why would I ever play that? Sucks. If I had known, I would have never agreed to this terrible, terrible, terrible agreement. Yeah. And then ten years contract. later, you're like all about poker, and you understand that there are stakes involved. No, I don't. I never liked gambling. That was like the whole deal. Is that even if I had one and one his, I would have felt bad about it. And like to me, that idea of like. I don't know. To me, gambling is just a, it's just a silly thing. I can't even can't even think about like throwing my money away on something that could possibly win, possibly lose. Yeah, I'm just like if I'm gonna have an investment, it better be on something you know more practical, like Ziploc bags or you know just under the mattress, the old fashioned way, like you know gloves with batteries in them, those kind of things. The other movies that were mentioned, uh, there is I heard the there's cool the ru- it was cool runnings. A third yes. one that was unintelligible, I think we tried... The to... air up there with was Kevin the... Bacon when he goes to Africa and teaches a tribal village to play basketball. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put that on the list of obscure good. 90s movies I, that nobody I ever watched. I don't know how to play chess, but I can remember the plot for the air up there. Wait, which actor is this? Is Kevin a... Bacon. Kevin Bacon. Oh, okay. yeah. So now a whole entire African village can say that they are one degree of separation with Kevin Bacon. I gotta see that. Yeah, and then Beethoven, not Beethoven the original, Beethoven second. Exactly. A little Oprah with, moment there. Is that the one with the dog? Two dogs. Oh, that's right. In the second one, he, yeah, he gets a girlfriend and they have puppies. That's, at least it's better than like Air Bud. Dog playing basketball, remember that? Well, I mean, I guess it could always be oh, worse. I do. You could have like a Beethoven's franchise, whereas with this, you just had the Bud franchise. I think they actually did make a couple more direct-to-video they did. Yeah, like Beethoven the, movies. The movie, movie called Bach. <laughs> It just has like <laughs> has like a wiener dog. The new it. batch. It's like yeah, you know, we heard someone was doing something like this. Uh... We'll make a dog movie. Dogs are marketable. You can make a you know where they have these. Uh, I don't know what they're called. Little buddies. Do the... I feel like they made? I feel like they like they made a lot of dog movies in the nineties. Or have I just stopped paying attention to kids' no, TV? Turner and Hooch. Like well, the whole thing is. Or that... Was that the late eighties? I don't know. No, what happens is they always, that era. You know, if one studio is going to do one film and the script looks decent or it seems marketable. They'll try to keep it under wraps. They don't want other studios to find out because if they do, what they'll try to do is get a movie in production really quickly and release it around the same time because you can catch all the buzz from the other film. Yeah. You can see movies like Equilibrium and The Matrix came out at the same time. Right. You know, a lot of them were, they were just like, oh, yeah, this is like, let's do, you know, this sort of thing because it's, it's hot and let's, you know. Westerns always come out, and this came out in the '60s when that was really big. Then it was '70s; it was crime dramas. And know. then, like a few months ago, when the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone movies came out at the exact same time. Yeah, exactly. it's it's all about right now. I think B-list '90s celebrities trying to revive their career. Yeah, I mean, 
That's the thing is. And like aging actors, action stars who can't do anything else except for shoot guns and like chase things, but they're 50 now, so it doesn't work as well. I really miss those old, those old like inspirational movies, though. Those like those Disney, like, let's get a ragtag group of like basically they're really ragamuffins. That's the whole idea. And then you get some, you know, aging actor that's fallen off a little bit and you put them in as the coach. You know, cool runnings. That, or speaking great of, movie. Speaking great of which, Andy? speaking of which, um, underdog early 90s sports movies, I actually recently rewatched The Mighty Ducks. I was just, that was what I was just thinking of. And you know what I realized? Because so, it had been so long since I'd seen it. Little Pete is in The Mighty Ducks. You know, Little Pete actually has a hardcore band now, and he is jacked and he's huge. I've heard, a, I've heard sidings of him on the East Side. Both, Danny yeah, Tamborelli. Both Pete's are somewhere in the recesses of Brooklyn. The. The clip itself is in referring to movies that are being rented from the video store. Uh, you guys must have totally overdid it with the whole mo- renting movies on like a Friday night, Saturday night. You couldn't go anywhere, so you just like got your parents to bring it to the video store and I rent remember some I, yeah, I always DVDs. A... Even I guess maybe at that point. No, nah, they were still they were still on VHS back then. Um... But I do remember having like a two or like a three video limit if somebody was coming over because otherwise, yeah. it, otherwise they just wouldn't get returned. And the video late fees thing was like a thing. I remember getting like having taking tapes back to like the li- the library, I used to rent tapes from the library, and then if you didn't rewind them, you'd get an earful. Like they would be like, <laughs> are, could, "Are you serious?" And I'd be like. You have a machine. Like, oh, you literally, this is the library. There's, like, there's the rewinding machine. You we, put it in, it takes you, like, 10 seconds. And people used to go crazy. It had the sticker on everyone. I was like, there's a whole business. There's a movie, you know, Be Kind, Rewind. Like, this was such a big deal. And our, you know, our children would never know what that is. Nope. No concept of rewinding. And actually, I had a rewinding machine. My parents splurged, and we had the rewinding yeah, machine. We did, too. And you, it, had, it had a little bit faster rewind. You would save, like, 10 seconds. Right, you'd put it in. It like, cost $200. And it was done. <laughs> I still remember, actually, my father told me that when VHS first came out, it was such a big deal that his wedding present from his parents was a VHS player, and it cost over $1,000 uh, when they got married, which was in um, 81, and that they got, they gave him one tape, and the tape cost over $100, and this is, again, you know, like 30 years ago. And they don't even make VHS. I know that you can still like find, like find yeah, them in like a pawn them. shop or yeah, something. They don't make them. They don't make them anymore. It's because right. it was again. It was at that where that mass production thing and the idea of home video was such a big deal. It was so it was novel. People oh, yeah. like when you had a home movie camera, you had the giant camera that it. Well, think about it's it. It's like a size of a TV camera. Before you know, before you had computers and you had this idea of you know like memory and stuff like that, you had to watch you know stuff on TV programming. There wasn't even programming at night. You know, the TV just I've heard stories about this. Yeah. I've heard stories yeah. about this. Like, they'd play the national anthem and a flag or, yeah. like... What? My dad said when he was a kid that there would be programming only for, like, six hours a day. And you'd have programming, like, at some point in the afternoon, and you'd have programming at night. Because no one was watching the TV during the day. They were at work. Right. Yeah. Somewhere now, around, like, 10 or 11 o'clock at night, TV would just stop. It just turned off. But yeah. now, I think, with every channel, if they don't have actual programming that they can put in, uh, they just throw in infomercials. That's it. Yeah, and plus syndication, and there's so much more media now. Right. You say, why not get something else? Just throw it on there. What did you guys record uh, as far as, like, mass record? You go uh, out every now and again, so you know that you're not, or you have to go to bed at a certain time, so you always schedule recordings on your VCR. Like, this is much, much different than a DVR where you can actually schedule it and not have to worry about it. They were re-screening the old Star Wars movies, and the... uh, the, t- the version I had was terrible on television, and I actually rewatched the tape recently, 
and it had those like really bad like eighties commercial breaks in it and stuff. Sure. And, like the really like bright colors come on and the bad music. We'll bring you back to your your presentation in just a moment. And that's, that was the thing too. Those if you were recording something like a movie and you were watching it, the really cool thing to do if you're the best was you would stop. You wouldn't record during the commercials. You would stop it and wait for them to be like, "We'll be right back." Pause. And def- I definitely did that. Yeah. And then yeah, like, and but every now and then somebody would miss it. You wouldn't get it right. I remember because I would look back at those old ones, and then they would have the fast-forward commercial. I was like, yeah, I put some work into this one. If I wasn't recording uh, Conan O'Brien, Late Night Conan O'Brien, which I did, I guess, you more or less. You would tape Conan. Late Night Conan O'Brien, I remember I had about two or three tapes full of just sketches. Not the whole show, just the sketches. But another program I remember recording, even earlier than that, and I think I recorded over because I was too embarrassed, <laughs> was the uh, or wrestling, the pro wrestling, which I used to watch all the time when I was in middle school. Oh, yeah. I even, I even got Brooks Rocco, uh, the great dude that he is, for my 10th birthday, bought me, uh, for my 20th birthday, I think, as like a, a, memorable, a memorabilia, he bought me a VHS tape of WrestleMania 10. And the question so, was, did you have anywhere to play seen. it? Yes. Yeah, I had a, I had a VCR at the at the time. I was like from my twentieth or twenty first birthday, and he bought me a VHS. And I remember that when we were ten, eleven years old, we had seen WrestleMania ten, and it was just the most amazing thing ever. But that right there, having that on VHS, so having that tape really just sort of encapsulated just such a great amount of nostalgia for me. And I remember watching it, and like. I'm never going to see anything like with this quality ever again. Never again. Yeah. No. But- the VHS is going the way of DVDs, the DVDs, Blu-rays, Betamacs. It's like Swahili to me. Yeah, no, but I want to take it back, though, for a minute. What were your favorite movies as a kid? Like, when you went to, when we're having this hypothetical Friday night at Blockbuster, and you actually have to see if they have the tape, because half the time they didn't. Like, what were your go-to movies? Beetlejuice. Just watch Beetlejuice, like, every weekend. I liked, I liked renting movies that I never had seen. Um, and I also had to kind of uh, gauge on what I was able to see if I had carte blanche or if I had to see something that my sister would want, would want to see or could see, um, and then if my parents wanted to see it. So if I had my own say on it, I probably would have just gotten any one movie that looked cool, probably a movie with a dog in it. <laughs> if I had my say. No, actually, the thing is, I don't really have, I didn't have a super favorite movie at that age. Although, I definitely, somewhere I think around like 8, 9, 10, those years, definitely went through a horror movie phase for a while. Yeah. Like, watched like all four or five Halloweens and the Screams and like. And how old were you? Late, we moved, wait, it was, we moved that summer, so it was fourth and fifth grade, so like very tail end of elementary school. I went through a horror movie phase. You watched, like, all the Stephen King movies, too? I did do the Stephen King ones now. Um, I just remember there was, like, a two-bay-wide horror section in my Blockbuster, and so whichever ones didn't look absolutely terrifying, because I wouldn't do, like, It or... Um, I don't think I did Nightmare on Elm Street, but just, like, the slasher, like, old-school Mike Meyer ones. Yeah, I only started to watch horror movies post get growing a beard. I was very, very scared of horror movies as a kid. I, I wouldn't even watch them. Like, I didn't even attempt to watch horror movies. I remember uh, I'd watch time... them with all the lights on with everybody. Like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get, like, freak myself out. I was curious. Like, it was almost a curiosity thing. Like, I wanted to see it. But then no. when it gets to the scary part, I would be like, ah, hiding under the covers. I remember walking out of a theater one time. My friends were going to the, were going to the film, and it starts up, and something goes, bah! And I, my, I go, I go look at my friends, like, you know me? I'm like, 
why don't you tell me this is a horror movie? The name was nondescript. And they're like, sorry, but I don't know what to say. And I was like, all right, later. And they couldn't believe that I walked out, but I was just like, well, this is not what I do. I just remember that I actually, not in one f- set, one sitting, but over the course of years, I would go to the video store, and as a completist, I had to, for whatever reason, rent every single Police Academy movie. Oh, <laughs> So I've seen all the Police Academy movies, and... Uh, you know, it's just an incredible experience when you can say that you have seen nine Steve Gutenberg movies. I feel like that's your your fact if you ever go in Jeopardy and like the random thing that they want to talk to you about for 20 seconds. I, we talked about wrestling for a second and I just realized that we had a great clip that segued perfectly into that. So when we come back, uh, talk about some professional wrestling. Yeah, and I'm going to climb to the top of the turnbuckle. And... Lost and rewound. clip that is coming up in a little bit uh we gave a little context for in the episode from last time around um and i had mentioned it in my in in actually the first episode about how i created all these characters and one of the characters happened to be a really terrible uh caricature sort of uh spoof off of the character razor ramon played by a guy named scott hall in the mid 90s very 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 popular um wrestler and for whatever reason, I just decided I was going to create a character named Recorder Ramon. And so it debuted in this clip, um, which is taking place in Connecticut when I was uh, there with my friend Ben, uh, who had invited me over for that weekend sometime in the summer of 94. And so uh, you can hear him pretty audibly in the background while I try out this first character for the first time. Hey, it's me, Recorder Ramon. I want to tell you about a great contest that we're having. It's called the You Choose It Contest. <laughs> the You Choose It Contest <laughs> is a contest where, <laughs> where you get to choose what is going to be on the Nautica Zone, such as... If we are a born place like home, then you get to choose if it should be in somewhere on vacation, or and you get to choose. Really? I'll be there, but you won't. But sorry, no, no cash included. You don't get paid to get what you see. But it's it's a free deal. You can do it for only for only a little, so it's good. So if you want, so just enter and and call the number six, seven, seven, nine, two, seven. And remember, if it's not music, it's the dancing girl. Thank you, recorder Ramon. It, he just interrupted. Yeah, it was something inside me got out of control. Two thoughts. 
because if I let you two start and you'll end up on some random tangent, my original point will be entirely lost. Go for it. Um, you're really bad off the cuff now, and you even words a kid I can hear. You're just like, and if you call, then you will. <laughs> Improv has apparently never been your strong suit. Never. And the second one, too, is for a character that was supposed to be based off a pro wrestling caricature. There was very little reference to wrestling in that, if any. That's correct. I like how you said that there was something inside you <laughs> that was like a demon I, can, I can alter ego yeah i mean i think that's why i created it is because i needed to i needed to spice it up a little bit no i needed to spice up the <laughs> the content I, like i think i feel like i was at a restaurant and i told them to spice it up that they would they would spit in my food well <laughs> my, my my idea i think at the time was is i wanted to just create like some different characters to spice it up the whole gen- general uh nature of the personalities that came through on the recording so i figured i would create i don't know why i created a alter ego but in any event i would imagine that at the time it was for my own shits and giggles you know to entertain myself and if anybody else was entertained by it then that was great i remember i would like take when i took the recorder on the bus i had to be very careful about how often i brought out these voices for the different characters but the whole point is this is that when you're in like a private setting with a friend who's just laughing his ass off i think it feels a little more encouraging than just being on the bus and the, having the, like weird kids yeah being the weird you, kid on the back of the bus who like kids are looking at you like what is he doing <laughs> like that the character, in a way, Recorder Ramon, was – I could tell it was even, like, you trying to, like, figure out more ways to go with the show because even Recorder Ramon was trying to get people to call in with ideas for you for the for the or something. He's like, come on. Win the contest. You win the contest, you give me new ideas for the Danziger Zone. You get to choose. What do you want to hear? Over the course of the, the series of the Danziger Zone, uh, Recorder Ramon's uh, pretty much – the quintessential enemy. He becomes sort of like my alter ego, and what he An does, evil twin? Yeah, kind of. What he would do is he would he would come onto the sh- uh, he would come unannounced, and he'd be like, "Hey, it's me, Ricardo Ramon, and I don't know what Ilan is telling you, but I am going to break free and I'm going to take over the Danzig Zone. Like it'd be that kind of thing. Like he would be the the enemy, and so it would always Your be nemesis, me against myself, pretty much, and um. That is pretty much all that there is to Recorder Ramon. Yeah, the friend, the friend giggling in the background is pretty good. Just losing his shit. I... I see. That's the thing. I always think to myself, and I think you were right. And you pointed out a good thing that even as a kid, you figured out that there was a, a little evil part of yourself that was trying to get out. And you said, "We're trying to. How, how do I manifest this? Especially in such a creative process. And when again, you are trying to figure out characters. You know, you're thinking in your mind, and you're saying." Oh yeah, there was this one character that has these bad ideas in my head, and you know I'm trying to like he's he's coming out like that sort of thing, and he's like I like how you even be like oh Ramon is here I don't even know <laughs> like all of a sudden and he's coming to take over the zone. <laughs> I, I was terrible at voice. I mean here I am now uh, a 30 year old man with intentions of being in voiceover and who's been involved with radio and has been very interested in creating characters and I, I just think back to my beginnings as uh, a budding voice. Voice, uh, voice recording artist uh, on the Danziger Zone and creating voices like Scully the Skeleton and the dinosaur who spoke like this. I mean, like, the fact that I even did them to begin with is is novel, but they're just terrible and so rudimentary now looking back at them. I think it's I, – I like them. I think that it's, – it's funny because I was thinking how um, 
even though you were parodying a character that existed, you know, in Razor Ramon, like, to me, that was, like, really creative rather than just being, like, evil Alon or something like that. Like, there was this, like, this version of yourself. And, again, you liked, you liked wrestling and you're like, yeah, I'm tough. <laughs> of course. Like, <laughs> There's actually some thought in the character. Yeah, yeah. it's not just a split evil whatever. And, I don't know, like, I... I just can't do voices. I think some people are better at them than others. Jimmy, I think you're definitely the best in the room at voices. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. No, but like, along, like, especially for a kid to just even be trying to do different characters and different voices, I, some of it's kind of silly sounding now, but that was, I think, I think it's pretty cool that like little, you tried to come up with these different, well, like different, it's, personalities. different personalities. I think like it's a, it's a sign of creativity. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, when I was young and I used to do voices a lot too, um, I didn't have any recurring characters other than very stereotypical, like, oh, you see, I'm going to like the gangster talk, Sam, we're going to talk like this, man. But did he have a name? No, he didn't have a name. That's he the just, whole It deal. was just a voice. It, it was, was just, just the idea. Just, I did a gangster voice like that. I had a Spanish guy voice. I did all these, like, these just classic voices that were, like, in my mind, like the voice you did. And the first character that I created that was a recurring character um, was named Hoffman. Um, because that's my name, Hoffman. And he was a superhero. And in the vein of Doug, uh, like, you know how when Doug turned into a superhero is Quail Man? And he put the underwear over his pants, and he put a belt on his head, right? We all um, remember Quail Man. Yeah, I put underwear on my head, and um, I might have been the extent of the costume. <laughs> but, uh, and then it's my, a start, though. Yeah, and a friend of mine uh, who has a really kind of a goofy name, his name is uh, Zach Poots. He played the nefarious Dr. Poots. And uh, we we shot it in my apartment, and that's going to appear on the show at some point because it is just off the have wall. Have you located the tape? I uh, I do. I do have the tape. Yeah, but it's the same idea. And for that, I did kind of um, the same way. It was I was trying to figure out a character and wanted to make a superhero character, so I did kind of the you know truth and justice seeking like voice like that, you know. But uh, that's that stuff was always fun, especially when you get to develop the same one and. And add and add layers and depth to it. You know, you keep coming back, and the more Ramon comes back, the more he's angry. <laughs> he's more evil. He's more evil than before. <laughs> <laughs> and his timing is perfect. Luisa <laughs> Machismo, not Luisa Machismo. And what one thing I would definitely have to tack on to what you were telling me about these voices is, I think, with the tape that you say that you have, uh, you need to get that tape in here, Bronto, Stat, uh, and anybody there uh, listening out there who wants to contribute anything. We to plug this as often Lost. as possible, but we were, we are putting our call out into the universe. If you have stuff, send it to us. We will play it. We will have you on. We will talk about it. We want your tapes too. Pretty certain your whatever voice you may have is probably better than Rocola Ramon easily. Yeah. Um, Only English submissions, please. Oh no! Hey, no, come on. <laughs> so we will be back in just a moment with Rocola Ramon and Lost and Rewound. <laughs> Every day, somebody gets shot. It's sad to see someone be lost, because then you will never see them again. It's hard to lose someone that you love. If we all work together, we can, we can stop crime. Hey, all you guys and girls. You in for some really... Funky jazz and rock and roll. Then come to the Kit Kat Club to 
Mickey Aerosmith, Greg Charles, Louis Armstrong by Whoopi Goldberg. To pair tonight, development. Whitney Houston, Tina Turner, Bill Belvin. And you'll also be hearing from Winston Austell. Yeah, this is a jazz night. Meow, meow. And, and just for free, you could come backstage. So if you're in the mood for some funky music, and come to the Meow Meow Kit Kat I do enjoy that one of them was a PSA. Like of all the filler that you could come up with to do for these Danziger Zone commercial breaks, there was definitely the PSA was a uh, not something nine year old me would have thought of. I like the super dramatic music in the background. That I mean that brought me into it. It, it, it got <laughs> so, yeah. Casio keyboard pre recorded track twelve or something. No, no, I he think was playing. Ben, ben was actually playing. So yeah. I should also preface uh, before you get into anything else that you want to say that um, the majority of the music interludes on Lost and Rewound are actually, for all intents and purposes, uh, Ben Anderson productions. So that was not a pre-recorded track. That was him. He was like an eleven-year-old uh, piano prodigy. I mean, yeah. That didn't you call him Fingers Anderson? I I don't know. We'll have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe call him Fingers for other reasons. I don't know. But uh, one thing. <laughs> I called them fingers. <laughs> but uh, one thing that I was I really liked was um, that whole jazz club bit. That was uh, Meow Meow, the Kitty Cat Club. I mean, the Kit was, Kat Club. It was a kick. It was the Kit Kat Club. You didn't change it to the Kitty Cat Club. Why? Then why, why were you, you meowing? meowing? <laughs> See, at first, at first, I was like, you went, ah, it's gonna be some smooth jazz, Meow Meow. And I was really confused. And then you brought it back. And then I thought you said Kitty Cat Club. So I was like, okay, this makes a little bit more sense. Why, I guess, you know, a jazzy cat be like, meow, baby, meow. You know, I, I get that. But Did, did I also hear you lump Aerosmith in there with your, your artist that you were you rattling? Aerosmith? <laughs> really? I don't, I'm not sure if I heard it correctly or not. That's why I was asking. I, I, I have no idea what those last two are. But I think the actual last one I was trying to say was uh, Winston Marsalis. And I totally botch that one. I mean, Witten Marsalis? Like, hey, there you go. <laughs> hey, there we go. Um, but yeah, you definitely did start with Aerosmith, and I think Whoopi Goldberg, even though she's not a musician, I mean... Louis Armstrong as played by Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg. Goldberg. Right, like, okay, Ray Charles, Louis Armstrong, like, some of them were actually, some of them were jazz artists, like, I would even give you a little leeway on some of them, because it's like the jabs, funk, like... The, the jabs funk? Jazz. Jazz funk. Jazz. We got the jazz funk. Rhythm. Yeah, I mean, like, like okay, Tina Turner. Like that's not really a jazz artist, but I'll give you that as a kid. But really, like Aerosmith. I think I just was rattle- I was just, just rattling rattle- off bands that you knew. No, I was. I mean, except for Aerosmith, for Aerosmith, I think everything there was like this is my idea of R and B and soul and funk. And yeah, I yeah. had I had no concept. Yeah, you also of- name dropped Bell Biv DeVoe. So did I? Didn't- that's so funny. I feel like I said Bill Bellamy for some reasons. <laughs> Which would have made no sense. He would have been the comedic relief in between acts, where he would be hosting. Him and Whoopi Goldberg. Exactly. I'm wondering, how do we market this club? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, we've got there's so much there, so many great talents. So, you know, once you get Whoopi doing Louis Armstrong, people will come. People will, see, people will line up for that, I think. Uh, Whoopi. She doesn't need to be Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong can't be played by anybody. Or did he ever have a biopic? I don't even know. I don't think I did a Louis Armstrong one or not. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know where Aerosmith is going to come. Who's going to play Steven Tyler in his biopic when he when he croaks? I don't know. Maybe the same dude they get to play Keith Richards. They're both kind of skinny and look like they did too many drugs in the 70s. Just get Liv Tyler and give her you know, a whole bunch no, of stuff. No, no, no. That's Geico, wrong. Gecko. We should do a... <laughs> Producer Doug is suggesting the Geico Gecko. We should do a Louis Armstrong uh, biopic and have him be played by Anthony Anderson. <laughs> that was... So, you, you know, to talk about what you were saying before, Melissa, about the fact that I'm not good off the cuff and I can easy, I can admit that easily... That this commercial, both of these commercials were obviously completely off the cuff. They were they were not scripted. They were just sort of, oh, so Ben's gonna play this very solemn clip, and I'll be like, saying like a PSA about how sad it is that when people die. So if you want to do something to help, call this number, or then this. I think what it is is like. Jazzy. When you're younger, it's easier just to sort of keep rambling and riffing, like when you're, you don't self-edit as much. So some of these clips, like you can definitely hear you just going off down this tangent, trying to keep talking because you don't know where you're going. Like, that's, tr- that's the thing is you don't care. You're not stopping yourself. Right. So that's the thing. And you got sugar. Yeah. So that energy would just you'd be Instead of off. like now where there's a point you're trying to make and then you're just like, uh, uh, missing words. How do I say? Right. But that's the thing is, is that you can hear and there's a very specific part where I actually edit out – who knows what artist I originally said. I probably uh, said some very uh, – made some egregious errors and said artists that I had absolutely no idea what I was talking about. And so therefore, I edited it later – not too much later, but I edit – you could hear a very clear like edit later on where I'm saying, oh, these are actual artists. I looked them up. Arrested Development. And I only knew like one or two songs of them, and I to this I day. I think they only had like one or two big hits. Is the thing. Yeah. Now, do we have anything else? Um, uh, yeah. I don't know. Do we have anything else? We're gonna t- let's go right into this uh, other clip right here. Okay. This is a um, actually a really interesting uh, s- sort of kickback into the reality of how much stuff cost back then. And so this summer, I think, was the summer that I bought just a shitload of tapes or I was given money to buy a lot of these tapes at the mall when we were able to go away for a second and visit civilization, if you will, uh, in Connecticut. This clip, I think, is just me after I just bought a whole bunch of tapes. And it's more about kind of understanding what stuff cost back then. So let's take a listen. This is your skin. Even though this is still the Connecticut special, we're still with the Connecticut people. Even though, so it's still Connecticut because we are driving. Right now we're in Massachusetts. I mean, we're not, like, we're not in Massachusetts. We're driving in Massachusetts. Alright. You know what's weird? I call Massachusetts Massachusetts. I'm sorry. Good night. <laughs> Bye. After a week in Connecticut. Elon has had a good time. Yes, I have had a very good time here. And I think, uh, more than clear, I'm very glad that I had a good time, right? <laughs> Alright, they're not paying attention. Alright, I'll see you. Bye. Welcome to another... <coughs> of the Andrew Zone. We just found out that we spent... Uh, spending my money on, uh... Claire, could you give me the, give me the sheet? Thank you for what? I'll get back to you. Yeah, the sheet? Alright, we're gonna we're gonna get the sheet. We're gonna get the sheet. Alright, this is how this is, it was fifty dollars that I originally had. This is how much, how much it is. Eight dollars for tapes. No, wait, hold on. Wait, how much is that? Eight dollars
You know, it's like when you how much money I guess you get per week, and then when you go away for a vacation, how much your parents allow you to spend. Uh, you know, so I got a certain amount of money. I, I can't even imagine why my parents would give me fifty dollars. Say fifty bucks—that was a decent amount back then. Like that's a lot of money for a kid I to spend. I cannot believe I got that much amount of money. I don't think I needed that much money. It would, but, it would go pretty fast now. Fifty dollars doesn't go doesn't go that far anymore. All but. that money I spent on tapes, and then I guess all the amusements that uh, uh, parks and go-karting and miniature golf or whatever that we went on and it was all the money that i had to spend i wasn't going to be given any hand downs hand, handouts rather i had to spend my own portion of money for that yeah one thing i think is interesting is uh when i was a kid i never got allowance and i would get my mother said what i'll do is i'm going to give you more money than your friends get for lunch and then you got to eat out of that money and if you have money left over that'll be your allowance so my friends when i was a kid used to get like three dollars for lunch i used to get five dollars for lunch and five dollars for lunch when i was a kid like i always had money left over never spent five bucks yeah, on school lunch. lunch was like 250 back in the day yeah well i i always used to buy lunch on the street um because that's how i rolled now because but they always used to let us out of school mm-hmm. we didn't have cafeteria uh, in brooklyn and stuff at a lot of different schools so um i would get like a slice slice was a dollar Soda was 50 cents, you know, so, and I only ate one slice back in the day the same way, so I used to have a lot of money left over, and, but the same one vacation, it was different, on vacation with my parents, they said, uh, we'll buy anything that we want to buy on vacation, but when we go back home, you get nothing. <laughs> that was basically the deal. We didn't, we, go, we didn't go on vacation that much, but we did, we splurged, that was it. But that was the time to do it, yeah? I mean, you're, you're in that state where as long as you're going to be away and taking advantage of some different kind of economic uh, status, go, go all out. I mean, it's how often do you get to go to Massachusetts? I mean, it's like it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty exotic. Connecticut special. <laughs> Connecticut. <and> Connecticut. <laughs> it's funny because uh, I, I, I lived in Massachusetts for, uh, for four, four years. I never once called it Massachusetts. I liked that. You also weren't 11 years old when you were there, so. Yeah, but I was definitely trying to think of any kind of, like, wordplay. Going to school in Boston, what's it like being a Yankees fan? It definitely felt like I was in enemy territory all the time. And uh, even though I do have an affinity for the city, I mean, I lived there for years. Um, I was in college, so definitely you have, like, a, a, there is a definitely a part of that, like, the adolescent phase where you're, you're very much, like, you really want to love the city. But I had such a thing in my mind that I have to hate the city. Yeah, you're from you're from New York. You're a Yankees fan. You're not allowed to like Boston. Like Boston is the enemy. Yeah, and uh, I definitely that was the thing. Seeing a Red Sox logo would cause me a small amount of pain. It would be a difficult thing. And if you've, anyone's actually been to Massachusetts, especially to Boston, it's not like you just see the logo. That town that is the logo of the town, basically. It's arguably worse, actually, than the Yankees logo in New York. Like you can get away from Yankee stuff in New York; it, you see it a lot, but it's not everywhere. In Boston, it's in every fucking window. Oh yeah, I mean, it was the thing that 
you would see everyone would wearing those hats, the uh, the, the Red Sox I think they, hats. I think they issue you one at birth, actually. Have the Red Sox onesie, and it had a big B on it, you know? It's a little different, though, because with New York and New Jersey and to Connecticut to an extent, uh, you know, you have New England, which is made up of the majority of Connecticut, with the, the, the whole of Connecticut, plus New Hampshire, plus Vermont, plus Maine, plus uh, Rhode Island, and then Massachusetts. So you have four, five states that are a fan of a baseball team versus one or two states. Yeah, but one of those states is New York. For baseball, actual, like, the amount of money the teams actually take in each year, um, the Yankees take in roughly um, three times the amount of money the Red Sox do. Don't they also spend three times as much as the Red Sox do? No. They spend... at this point, the Yankees' payroll is about uh, around a little over 200, and the Red Sox, they just scaled it back because they had a horror, horrible season last year. You mean year. the Red Sox sucked? They went right back to the, to the mean, you know? <laughs> I mean, that was the thing is I, was, I used to read a lot of publications because for me, following the Red Sox was fun because Red Sox uh, people, when they write about the Red Sox, they really bash them a lot, so when you- similarly to the way the Mets do here in New York. When you were uh, 10, 11, 12, when you were in middle school and you were in the height of the baseball fandom, when you were in the height of the ba- baseball fandom, were, were, were you all up on these facts? Well, I can say honestly that um, I definitely I got caught up in, um, in like just like the wonderment of like the late 90s Yankees. I mean, when I was a kid, we, yeah. won, we won every year. So Is that the, the Joe Torrey story? I mean, that was incredible. Yeah, so that was the whole deal is I feel like when the Yankees lost the World Series in 2001, uh, if anyone doesn't know the story, uh, basically Mario Rivera, considered the best closer in history, blew the game in the last pitch and the last pitch of the final game of the series. I very it took a lot of wind out of my Yankee sails. Like I thought we were invincible to that point. I actually got back into them. I started getting really into baseball again when I got a little bit older, right before college. Um, in fact, the the when I really started following them was the. The first time that the Yankees didn't make the postseason, and it was like uh, 15 years or something like that, was the right. year I watched all this stuff, and I finally figured out what really more so than just the stats that are surface level, like the real factors of the game and really getting into it. And now I'm relatively obsessed. It's actually, I got so obsessed with baseball, I've started to watch other sports that I used to hate, and I'm just getting really more into them because I realized that I guess sports is just something that I, I like a lot. very special guest. Uh, unfortunately, Jimmy is trapped in the closet right now, and he can't join us, but we do have Doug on the mic. Melissa Hi. will be rolling on this interview, and I will be sitting back and enjoying myself as we present to you a wonderful man by the name of Ben Anderson, Dragon Slayer extraordinaire. Welcome, Ben. Hey. Thank you for joining us. Sorry that Jimmy couldn't be here. He's preparing his one-man rendition of Trapped in the Closet that he keeps threatening to do. So before we dive too far into these clips and the Connecticut special, just for everybody at home, what are you doing these days? What have you done with your life since the fifth grade? <laughs> you, you don't have to tell us in much. linear order, but just like in a few highlights. In 250 words or less. I mean, what, are, where, what are you doing these days? You're at DreamWorks out on the West Coast? 
Yeah, so I moved out to California to work for uh, Pixar. And um, Wait, I've heard of them. Do they make those movie things? I worked on these movie things for children Pictures. mostly, which is kind of, uh, kind of exciting. It's uh, an audience that you can't top for enthusiasm when they like stuff. So yeah, I was at uh, Pixar for five years, and now I'm at DreamWorks, and I'm coming up on my fifth anniversary there too. Wow. Uh, I'm working on a movie called Mr. Peabody and Sherman. Are those the characters uh, from Rocky, Rocky and Bullwinkle? And... Yeah, I was just going to ask, are those the characters from Rocky and Bullwinkle? It seems that you're going to yeah. say yes. Yeah, so we're working on that, and I, I sort of feel like we missed our target audience by about 50 years. But <laughs> I don't know how many kids are actually going to go see that, but I do know a lot of adults that will probably get lot, really excited lot, for that. A lot of grandparents taking the grandkids. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, so let's go ahead. Are we, gentlemen, are we ready to dive in and listen to some clips? As I mentioned, in the summer of 1994, Ben and I got to spend some time in Connecticut at his grandparents' uh, cottage by the lake. Um, really a great honor, and really I think that summer was what defined the Danziger Zone's zaniness, and Ben, really, I think you uh, really had a lot to do with that. So without further ado, let's uh, not ever say that phrase again, and let's take a listen to these clips. <laughs> Well, here you are, and here's Ben. Ha ha! I've stolen you! Ha 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 ha! Ha ha! This is Ben. He shall never find you here. Oh, bye. How do you turn this thing off? Oh, there it is. That's all right. Ben just stole it. Oh, no. Ben shoots him. No! Oh, yes. I'm here. So one of the common themes I think we've noticed thus far in the Danziger Zone is everybody seems to like to steal Elan's tape recorder, uh, <laughs> as you apparently did frequently in Connecticut. Uh, what was your reaction to the whole tape recorder thing when he first started having the tapes? Or Was, he, was it weird? Was it something cool? I mean, you seem to enjoy running off and making secret tapes. Um, it seemed, nothing really seemed weird about anything back then. I feel like so many weird things happened where we grew up that we sort of had to take it in stride. Like what kind of weird things? Well, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe it was, was just me. I, I remember in first grade, my first grade teacher thought I was retarded. And so she sent me. Actually like learning disabled? Yes. Wow. And, uh, so maybe I was just a weird kid. And so. Nothing and could we, out weird you? Yeah, like right away, it was it was really fun to participate in it, and it was kind of a cool prop as well to uh, kind of facilitate acting even weirder. <laughs> sure, <laughs> to facilitate the weird. Yeah, you know, because we could it would it would be like a prop for like a like a spy game or, you know, or was it even yeah. sometimes an excuse to go talk to someone if you had no reason otherwise? I think maybe if it was later on, it would have been. I don't think that you don't think that children need a reason to go talk to people 
<laughs> I just do some, we had some innocent kids, minds. Some kids sure. had started to develop like shyness by then, but I don't think that you didn't need it. I mean, I certainly had it, and I don't. Yeah. I don't think that Alon did. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Alon ever did. <laughs> there, it really depended. Like, like the I had a very like it was a comfort zone. We were just comfortable with the kids that we knew, and we didn't talk to the older kids because they wouldn't talk to us, and the younger kids we sort of looked at as sort of no, we don't need to talk. We have our friends. I think we were comfortable with the so you were, co- you company were, we kept. You were their older kids who wouldn't deal with them, and thus the cycle continued. Let me ask you, You ben, changed nothing. Ben, you, you rode the bus, right? Yeah. How were your bus rides for the most part? Most of the time I rode with Brooks Rocco, mm-hmm. and uh, that was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, we, yeah, we would just sit together and talk most of the time. Brooks Rocco, I believe... Uh, another Woodstockian, whose name has been mentioned, I think, more times on this show than anyone else. I think everybody, he, yes, everybody keeps mentioning Brooks. Because, well, <laughs> because uh, his parents uh, had two different houses, so when he rode the bus with me, he was staying at his mom's, and uh, when he was with, at his dad's house, he would ride the bus with Ben. So he would ride two different bus routes, and whenever Brooks was on the bus with me, he would always get on the recorder. So between uh, Ben and Brooks and a few other kids that I was friends with, there was a lot of star time. Sure. Well, while we're on the topic of the bus, what are your fondest memories of the school bus or most traumatic memories, depending on your relationship with the bus? I was a pretty distracted kid, and so I missed my stop a few times. And so I uh, one time got off maybe two and a half miles or three miles after my stop. Oh, that's a bit of a hike. And just walked home. And I remember walking, walking home through like this. I mean, it was a very wooded road. And... Uh, it was pretty curvy, and the mail truck was de- delivering mail in front of me. And he would go faster than I would, but he would stop at every house. And so I was basically keeping pace with him for the entire way home. <laughs> did you me throw this to the group for a second? Did you guys have, like, individual bus stops where it was just you? Or did you have, like, the big group neighborhood one? There's, like, six kids or whatever. The way, the way mine worked, we had the neighborhood stops. But you could get a special stop if you were somehow um, differently abled. And not in a outstanding way right. in which you needed a wheelchair or something to help you travel. But if you had, say, asthma and your parents could make the case that you could not walk the several blocks to the bus stop. Right. So if your parents could throw enough of a suburban fit, they could get the bus stop. It, precisely. There was enough, it was so rural up there uh, in Woodstock that there was – I mean you could basically stop on the side of the road and you would just come across somebody's house. So and there wasn't necessarily like a hub that the kids would go to. It, the bus would just drive down all these uh, side roads and pick up the kids. It would just keep going, and you'd just jump on going. it as if you were trying to rob a train. Or Absolutely. Something. Okay, <laughs> I understand this now. Uh, Moving vehicle, catch the bus. Let's uh, let's take a listen to another clip. Actually, um, there's a, a fantastic one. The uh, the one with the light show. All right. Great. Great. Perfect. Let one. me find it. Hello, this is Brett. This tape was self-destruct in um. <laughs> Um, <laughs> um, um, <laughs> hold on, <laughs> it'll make a nuclear explosion in <laughs> one, I mean, now. Pop. I see it survived. It will survive this fusion explosion. 
it will happen in it'll happen um let me check uh now. Wanna put on a light show? Are you hearing me? Season explosion did some nasty work, huh? Well, I think this tape is ruined. Are you working? Battery lights on. Let's do a light show. Yeah, br bring that uh, light up there and. Oh. Oh man. The whole light got destroyed. Guess we can't do a light show anymore. <laughs> send you the clip yeah i think we can handle that <laughs> we have the technology <laughs> uh so the tape this tape will self-destruct in however many seconds where did that come from originally? i think you mean mission impossible because i got it from mission impossible but i feel like that one's been around for like as long as there have been spy movies it probably was mission impossible i think that we probably got it from inspector gadget that's oh, correct oh yeah that's probably true, true. All right, Inspector mystery solved. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the fair analysis. And I, I loved that cartoon, and that always began the same way. He would get the messages, and then he would give it to the commissioner, and it would always blow up in his face. I am on it, chief. <laughs> what were your favorite cartoons? Going? Were, were, were these cartoons that, that you watched uh, pretty influential at the time? And if not that one, what was a cartoon that you remember really being influenced by? Oh, I loved Inspector Gadget. Um, that one really was a classic. I also liked uh, DuckTales. Sure. Before this becomes a let's all sing DuckTales uh, theme song, um, I, actually don't... I would actually like to re-gear that question at your profession now. Um, how do you feel uh, like adoration or enjoyment of now cartoons you... as a child plays into your employment now at yeah. formerly Pixar, now at DreamWorks? Um, I feel like my enjoyment of cartoons is a little different than maybe it used to be but i i enjoy them more now for sure it's really fun for me to like if i'm watching like an anime or something to like see the way that they draw these explosions and like they'll expand really quickly in like one or two frames so that you can't even perceive it and then suddenly it's like sort of settles out and so it's really fun for me to watch the way that like hand-drawn like 2d effects are are done um, which I definitely didn't have an appreciation for then. But I... I uh, well, I suppose all of them were hand-drawn effects when we were in our prime cartoon-watching days. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I didn't know, like, how much thought went into all of it. The other thing I noticed from this set of clips is it sounds like you guys were hiding somewhere. I mean, I know you were... The first set we listened to was also a hiding thing, but you were all whispering up in the microphone. Like, you were on the secret mission, and the tape was about to self-destruct. And did you guys, like, go and play and hide and, like trees and corners and all that kind of shit we used to do 
I don't recall there being really much of a like a like a hiding spot. It was pretty basic uh, backyard with very little room to like. Okay, go so that park. that was outdoors. Ben, you might have more perspective. You've been to the the cottage since, obviously, for years to come. Yeah, it's a pretty small cottage. Um, there there's was... a lot of like little shadowy areas there, but nothing. <laughs> I actually, I, I cave re- or anything. I recall when uh, one of the days there, uh, we were outside, or I was outside, and I couldn't find you, and I remember calling your name, like Ben, where are you, Ben, Ben, and then. Out of nowhere, the next-door neighbor's dog, this black lab, comes charging towards me, and I freak out and just start running away, no idea what to do, and the dog just totally chomped my butt, like bit me in the ass. <laughs> Straight up bit you in the ass. Sick, sick balls. Yep. And um, Speaking of the yeah. dog attacks, we are uh, recording at Melissa's tonight with her Beautiful dog Lucy roaming about the recording area. A per- so if you're enjoying incentive. some extra background sound effects, uh, listening to this, that's what it is. Yeah, my, my whiny neurotic dog for some reason cannot seem to calm down right now. But the other thing we had going on there, um, and this definitely plays into Lost and Rewound, is uh, the keyboard. Uh, you had a keyboard there. Does it still exist? Do you know the keyboard? Yeah, I think my grandmother still has it. I have one at work now, although I don't really play it as often as I would like to. <laughs> is that part of your your job or a hobby? Just a toy. It's just a hobby. I mean, I sort of stopped playing when I was 16, and it's kind of a fantasy that I would learn to play again, but it has not yet come to fruition. But that that, that was a great time, uh, having a Casio and being just so full of uh, ideas just based on sounds from uh, a device that, you know, I don't even know if I had one working. The fact that that one supposedly still works is a marvel because the one I had just shit the bed when I was like 10. <laughs> I think we sold mine in a garage sale. I definitely had a Casio keyboard at one point. I think mine started leaking battery acid. Like, I think we had rechargeable bat. No, that was my friends had rechargeable batteries and they just started like leaking. So we were like, we're going to throw this out because it's dangerous. Right. And of course, battery acid's not bad for the environment or anything. Well, what was I going to do with it? Well, no, I know. I know. This is the, these were back in the day. This Take was, it to the battery acid recycling center. This is back before we had all like all the responsible disposal guilt. Like, I certainly didn't. I was like seven. Yeah, no, I didn't. My understand. point is, my point is, this was pre Captain Planet. This is before they came in and did the water conservation thing at my school, where the woman then poured all the water down the drain at the end of it. And I was oh, like, that's lame. I was like, you're bullshit. That's lame. <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, personally, I, I greatly enjoy all of the keyboard music that we get to use for the show, and I have fun picking it out. <laughs> yeah. Not well, all of them are actually been. Uh, some of them were, like, pre-recorded, and they're, they're all brilliant, regardless of... Sure. Sometimes you got to use a Casio preset. <laughs> you and Swiss Beats, same deal. I get it. <laughs> and who doesn't love the Casio presets, so... We have some great clips uh, we, we picked out playing around with the keyboard, some, like, sound effects... That you being the effects master you are, this was like... An early foray. Yeah, if you will. Is that your way of telling me you would like to listen to that clip? (laughs) Yes, Doug. Perfect. (laughs) Wow, God. I never knew knew this sort of thing would happen. Every day. Oh, oh, I remember that. Every day, somebody gets shot. (laughs) Oh, Everybody loves it! <laughs> you win an Emmy! Yes, I'm Jeff! 
lot of gun sounds in there or sound effects deciding they sound playing with the presets and deciding they sounded like gunfire naturally yeah. again i think that's a boy thing we've talked about that a couple times on the show now that what boys love guns that there's like this phase that guys boys go through where everything is a gun and i just i i don't get it i didn't get it then i still don't get it now i remember we used to dress up as video game characters because that was the thing to do like like Yoshi, like what video game yeah, characters? Gotta... I know you. I you dressed up as Mega Man. You did dress up as Mega Man once. That was the greatest Halloween costume ever, besides <laughs> the boots. That for for, for, for uh, you you once dressed up as a pair of boots, I remember, and then you dressed up as Mega Man. Oh, I thought you were saying the Mega Man boots the, weren't good. Like I was very good, confused by that he didn't statement. Have good boots for his Mega Man outfit. Well, how old were you when you dressed up as Mega Man? I think um, eight. Maybe, well, maybe you're nine. appropriately sized yeah. for Mega Man then, because he was a little guy. Yeah. Um, did you build that costume, or was it ready-made? Uh, my mom did. My mom is uh, very crafty. I feel like you know, back in the days, they didn't even if you they did have some of those cheap polyester Halloween costumes you could buy, but like, yeah, sure, I had a He-Man one. Right, but like they were, it was like the Red Power Ranger and Batman. Like there weren't, there wasn't the plethora. Like you go to Party City now, and you can be anything. Yeah, I wasn't imagining that it was. Available at CVS. Uh, I thought maybe it was a special order from Japan. Yep, yeah, before in the days before the internet, we still ordered it from Japan. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where it's where Rockman X comes from originally. So it's where you got to go to get the costumes. <laughs> it was just my mom, it was, it was just one some... time. Uh, I, I wanted to be. I, I was two, and uh, I came home and said on the day of Halloween that I wanted to be a bat, and she came had home put from together where? this whole other no, costume for me for something and she didn't have time to do anything and so she just hung a sign around my neck that says i'm a bat yes <laughs> that's the best your um, mom wins where, where were you coming home <laughs> I from i couldn't read and i didn't know any better so <laughs> you were, where is that's a very good question to point or point doug brings up you were two where were you coming home from uh play school had uh play school under the church in town playing with play-doh i remember i was in daycare from pretty young but i don't remember being two years old like i just i yeah, I don't think I have any memories of being that young. I, you know, not really for me. It, it's very, very uh, scarce memories, mostly of me playing with paper mache and not realizing that snow could melt inside. That I happened. guess maybe I should take a step back. Ben, is that something you remember, or is that a story that is you've been told since then? 
Oh, that's that's a story that I, I've been told since then. I do remember some stuff from back then, but it's very uh, hazy. I remember getting really upset that somebody took my Play-Doh, and that's my only place. <laughs> I would get really upset if somebody took my Play-Doh, too. How old were you when you got into video games? Uh, did you, uh, like, were you, when, when the Nintendo first came out, did you get the Nintendo in 1989? Uh, no, there was a girl that lived, she went to the play school, and her older brother had a Nintendo, and I totally loved it, but he wouldn't let us play with it. And I remember really wanting one and asking my parents for one, and they, of course, said no. And I think when the Super Nintendo came out, uh, Bobby Connors got one, and um, I got one maybe six months after that. Uh, instead of the Nintendo, then, since you didn't have that until the SN, uh, you didn't have the video games until the SNES in the house came out. Um, were you big on computer games? Yeah. So my dad had a computer in the house um, for as long as I can remember, and he had some very simple games on that. Uh, we had the original SimCity. I must confess two things to the internet right now. First, that I'm 25 years old and have never owned a gaming system at all, period, not even a Game Boy. And second, I never played SimCity or Oregon Trail as a kid. What? Not even Oregon Trail? We didn't, I... ha- we didn't have Oregon Trail in my elementary school. Like, for some reason, we just we didn't, or I didn't play it, or I don't remember why, but I didn't have Oregon Trail. I didn't play it until I was in eighth grade, and by then I didn't care. I simply remember for computer games it was Oregon Trail and Number Munchers. So I feel like Oregon Trail like Munchers. I did do Mavis. Totally. I did Letter do and Ma- Number Munchers. I had Math Blaster. It sounds kind of similar. No, I did. I did. I, we did have Math Blasters and I did have Mavis Beacon, the typing program. But those were both like 90s kids things. Like everybody played Oregon Trail and got dysentery. And uh-huh. I have never to this day played Oregon Trail. Have you gotten dysentery though? <laughs> no. Oh, thank God. I had um, a Wheel of Fortune game that came on a floppy disk and every time we wanted to play it we had to put the floppy disk in load up dos and load the wheel of fortune game off the floppy disk that's you know that's what i actually of all the things i actually remember from my grandfather my um mom's dad used to he got kind of into computers when that became a thing and so i remember as a kid going over to my grandparents house and in the basement my grandfather had all of his computers whatever he was playing with and he had these games on the actual floppy disks, not just like the little diskettes, like the hard plastic ones, the actual floppy ones. Mm-hmm. And having to run them in DOS and playing. Um, they were all really simple, like two-bit pixel animation. And... Sure. There's a, a video game-related thing that I was just thinking about. Uh, and I was wondering if, Alon or, or Ben, if you participated in this at any point in your childhood of trying to come up with your own video game concepts and what they might be. I, I spent a, quite a while writing them down in Word, specifically my sequels to Mortal Kombat that I thought were going to be the best ever. Didn't I they already <laughs> make like 15 Mortal Kombats? There was only two at that point. This is all Ben's uh, territory here. There are plenty of video games that I... Uh... Hey, there's a dog on the other there's side. There's other dog. Yeah. We're, we're even now. No, um, I remember distinctly you um, and I played a lot of Final Fantasy. I wanted to make like a Final Fantasy movie. I had written that up all... About it by the end of seventh grade or you something. You know, they did actually make a Final Fantasy movie. Eventually, but Several. it had nothing to do with it. But the point is, is that then you were, uh, uh, you got me into RPGs for sure. And you, for, if I remember correctly, you, there was some video game that you said that you had written that eventually was uh, picked up or something. It was, or it wasn't picked up by you, but like they stole your idea. Am I, am I getting the right person on this or am I right? 
the only thing that I can think of that was like that was um, a friend of mine had done some concept art for, or he had drawn a castle in the sky and submitted that to Squaresoft. And um, then they put a castle in the sky in one of their games. And so he thought that they had taken his idea. I don't think that it was anything directly correlated like that. But he hadn't seen the Studio Ghibli movie, The Castle in the Sky. I think that might have come out later. Then they stole it from him, too. Did you find yourself writing a lot of ideas on <laughs> it's paper? It's a novel though? idea. No one's <laughs> ever but, thought but of it. But a castle in the sky? Oh, it's so good. Yeah, you should see it if you haven't. It's all steampunky and fantastic. I could have sworn. Was it you or was it somebody else who uh, was telling me, ah, you know, I had the ideas for Breath of Fire. Maybe it wasn't. Oh, yes. One of, one of the video game ideas that Bobby and I had come up with, we had named it Breath of Fire, but it wasn't, it wasn't the same game. Okay. How's oh, I was also totally wrong about Castle in the Sky. It came out way earlier. Yes. <laughs> but you Fact did, check. But you did write a lot of ideas down, I thought. No? Yeah, no, no. We, we did. Yeah, I wrote a bunch down. They were all, yeah, they were all like really extravagant role-playing games, and they never went anywhere. All this talk about video games is actually a perfect incentive for us to talk about this one clip um, where I am playing Final Fantasy. Alright, Zed, why don't you talk to the well? Talk to me! Okay, I'm talking to you! Right. Hello, this is Ben. Secret Agent Ben. And, uh, Alon, Secret Agent Alon is playing Secret Agent video games. Yes. And, uh, he just found some secret agent black lizards and he just encount- was encountered by secret agent flame men and secret agent flame dogs in there I mean not in there Ron um yeah in there and well talk to you later see ya help um well we're in the headquarters of Dorbin and we're being tracked down Play Secret Agent a lot, didn't you? That seems like a recurring theme too in these Ben clips. Apparently, Secret Agent video games. <laughs> Secret Agent <laughs> flame dogs. <laughs> gotta watch out for that shit. If we had the rights, we could probably get away with it in the interludes playing the Secret of Mana and the Final Fantasy two theme songs. Because uh, we could get away with anything if we had the rights. If we had the yeah. We can probably get away with it even if we didn't. Then. Yeah, exactly. We'd just be doing it. Those were fantastic <laughs> video games. Those were those were, those. I remember those games coming along with us uh, for the trip, and those were just beautifully made. SquareSoft just made just these most amazing video games back then. Do you still play any games now? Do you have any favorites, even if they're just sort of throwbacks? Well, so I, I play StarCraft with some of my friends from college. I went, I went to college in the East Coast. Um, I feel like if you're not forming new memories with people, it's really hard to stay friends with them, hmm. you know? Like, otherwise, you're just, like, catching up constantly. And so that's, that's one of the that's things the that I That's the deepest thing that anyone has said on this um, show. Some yeah. of my, my college friends to stay in touch with them. It's silly, but it, it works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never really understood the whole social gaming online for me, I never really got past just the straight up being in my own private domicile and playing a game and getting lost in it and maybe getting some carpal tunnel syndrome in the process. Well, I do think. Uh, I don't think you get a little bit of carpal tunnel. I think it's like all or nothing. Yeah. Alon, though, I do think you're hitting on an interesting point, though, that the way we game and interact through gaming has changed a lot since we were kids. Like when we were younger, 
gaming was a very solo thing or you did it with one friend or two friends. You might, you might play Mario Kart if you had enough controllers with three other people. Like, that was a big deal. And now with the internet and you get on Xbox Live and you're playing Halo with however many, many other people you want to. I mean, yeah, well, it was a big jump every time they added the ability to play with one more person. Yeah. It was like a big deal and your slumber party has got that much better. Yeah, playing gold, actually playing Goldeneye against somebody else instead of the computer. Oh, shit. We had a, uh, a, there was a birthday party that Ben had, which was when he purchased Mega Man 4. And we all, like a whole, all of us boys, were like down in the basement, like watching Ben play Mega Man 4 and kill him. <laughs> Is that the privilege of being the birthday boy? Is like everyone has to watch you play? I guess so. That sounds terrible. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't terrible. I, I, I was terrible at <laughs> playing uh, m- most new video games because I, I, I was so slow to get into it and actually be somewhat proficient. That, I remember you were into Mega Man X. Yeah. When, SN- when the SNES came out, I got really into that because I was really happy that the character uh, could uh, jump on walls and could dash. And I was like, yes, these are all the things that I wanted to do with the old Mega Man. He's my favorite video game character. I don't know. Right I wasn't on. really into I was into like a lot of the, like it was either Mega Man, Final Fantasy, uh, maybe like some of the Mario's. I couldn't. I got. I, I like the some of the puzzle games. Like Lost Vikings was, for all intents and purposes, a puzzle game. It wasn't really an action game. You really needed mm-hmm. to use your noggin for that one. But for the most part, it was either the two D or the straight up um, SquareSoft RPG fair. That uh, birthday party story made me think of a birthday party, um, in where uh, it was one brother's birthday, but then the younger brother also had a Sega. So they both had a Sega Genesis, and he got the new Sonic game for the birthday. So one room was playing one version of Sonic, and if you were, like, one of the shitty friends, you had to go in the little brother's room and play the old version of Sonic, which was, like, not as cool. Well, say their parents were fancy. They had two Sonic. They were two yeah. Genesis. What the fuck? Yeah. I didn't get to have... I won, but not even... Didn't have Genesis. Had uh, Went straight from Nintendo to PlayStation. No Dreamcast? No, I... I did. I stopped caring about video games pretty early on. Not that there's anything wrong with them. It's just like the thing where you're great at hand-eye coordination yeah. as a kid. Like it went away so fast. I couldn't put a ball in a hoop or like tell what, where that thing was going to land in the video game. It's just out the door. Yeah, my inability to play sports tells me that I probably would have been really bad at video games too. What kind of sports did you play when you were a kid, Ben? I was pretty terrible at every sport that involved the ball. <laughs> That's so, a lot of them. Even though I'm 6'4", and my coordination is not good enough to play basketball at all. Couldn't play baseball. I was the only one of my friends who didn't make it to Little League, I think. Nope, that was me I got, too. I got stuck in Farm League. I was stuck and in then, Farm League too. It was you um, and I and Eric Ober, a few of our other contemporaries at the time. But uh, I totally feel you on that, man. I was not a good baseball player. I was, I was a pretty good swimmer. I, I was on the Xenorex swim team for two years, and I did pretty well there. The Xenorex was the um, sort of like a private club that people were a part of, and during the summer they you ha- can go to the pool, and you can hang out, you can play tennis. It was a swim tennis club. Yeah. Um, I, I was a part of that swim team, too, for one summer, and then when I went back for the second summer uh, the year later, I hated the first day, and... I just quit. <laughs> Presumably, Ben, uh, swimming was the thing for you because it did not involve a ball? I guess so. I don't know. I've got very long, flat feet. So, Did they try to get you into feet. water polo at any point? No, although I really wish that I had because it seems like a lot of fun. 
So this is this is a moment I wish we had Jimmy here just to get his whole commentary on because he grew what up, pools were like in Brooklyn. Right, he, yeah, Jimmy grew up in Brooklyn, and so his I'm sure he'd have a great riff right now on city pools versus us kids in the suburbs and our. At this rate, he's probably memorizing part fourteen of Trapped in the Closet. Let him do his thing. Yeah, I hope it's going well. I don't know if I, I just I watched pool. all of that. You really? Did? You actually watched <laughs> all of for it for the first time, like last week. <laughs> all of it. And how did that make you feel? And it is glorious. <laughs> that sounds like a, a, a Saturday night, Sunday night, when, 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 <laughs> whatever night it was. It was a night well spent. <laughs> uh, we do have one more clip, or we have the uh, the truck left, and there's one that's combined with something else, uh, but I forget what the first one was. Okay. Like we have a, we do have a few more clips left, and uh, I, I I hope you enjoy Ben. I don't think you've heard these. <laughs> truck and drive off the nothing <laughs> what was that i think you guys had just watched a back to the future or something and you wanted someone to make like a tree and get out of here probably I don't know. <laughs> we we were talking about actually the movies we rented earlier in the show we were talking about the um we i think we rented searching for bobby fisher the air up there um god what was it uh Oh, um, Cool Runnings. So I think I and actually wrote this down. Did you write it down? Because I took notes when we were discussing. When you... Well, I mean, I, I hope, I and mean, it was only like 30 minutes ago. <laughs> it was Bobby Fisher. Let's try. It was 30 minutes ago when, when Jimmy was here, here. and now right. he's not, and it, now we have hey. a dog, and now Doug is here instead of Jimmy. None of that makes sense. <laughs> well, what, what was this? So, yeah, so Cool Runnings, obviously, being right, the was, Jamaican uh, bobsled, and then Air Up There with Kevin Bacon in Africa. Beethoven 2 is the other one. Beethoven 2, because everyone loves a movie with St. Bernard. So... These two right. clips didn't have a lot going on yeah. in them. There Except was just for... a lot of yelling and then that really funny, make well, like a truck and do nothing. Well, one thing I think that we haven't really talked about because we had uh, the last episode with Abe who really was very much into making really crazy sounds with his uh, really, really, really wild sounds and just sort of altering his voice to come up with new characters. Were you doing that a lot just as a kid, or do you still, from time to time, have yourself find, with a bunch of different types of vocal um, fluctuations? I used to be able to do something that would like raise my voice like an octave or two. You can sort of hear it 
at the beginning of that, and I I can't do it anymore. And I've tried, but I can't. Yeah, and that was the end of my voice acting career. Did puberty happen? Is that part of the problem? It, yeah. Did you see yourself getting inspired at all by any of the voice work that you see for the, uh, for the films that you work on? Uh, sometimes. It depends on what it is. It's more of a, like an animation thing, you know, because the animators will like watch the or a video recording of the uh, of the actors as they're as they're doing it, so that they can add the like actor's performance to it. But I don't effects is basically anything that moves that isn't a character. So it's uh, so, yeah, the voice. So there is someone making like a tree that often, and then you have to capture them making like a tree, getting out of <laughs> and doing nothing. Yes. What was your favorite? So far, of all the film, the, the things that you've worked on, uh, what has been so far your most rewarding project? Um, even though nobody saw it, Rise of the Guardians that came out last last November, it was one of the very rare projects where effects artists are allowed to really be artists instead of just like technical problem solvers. Like we're we're able to move stuff around in a way that's um, that allows for our own artistic expression. And so because those opportunities are so rare in effects, that was probably the most rewarding, um, which is kind of exciting because it's fairly recent. Well, that's cool. Um, that, that's the first, uh, I mean, I guess first reason I've heard to go see Rise of the Guardians. Yeah, I, actually, I remember when it came out, but I didn't remember feeling compelled to take part in it. That is, uh, I believe there is a tattooed Santa Claus involved in this. <laughs> Yeah, or, it's kind of a weird idea. It's yeah, about uh, it's ahead. kind of like the Avengers, but if the Avengers were Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, and the Sandman. I mean, I can't believe I haven't seen it yet. But then again, I'm also really bad at seeing films. But more than anything, what you're saying, I think, sort of shows how much effects artists need to be respected, especially in light of everything that's going on right now in Hollywood, which is just a disaster. But um, what is going on right now in Hollywood? Um. So the visual effects and the animation industry is a little uh, protected from this because most animation studios um, own the rights to the stuff that they're making and so that they can make money on the back end after the movie comes out. Right. But most live-action visual effects um, companies, um, there's only six buyers for for visual effects, really. There's like Fox and Warner Brothers. Um, there's like six big movie studios, and so um, they have all the power, and they can pit these visual effects companies against each other. They're competing, submitting competing proposals and driving the price down to a point where they can't afford to stay in business, and that's why they're going out of business? That's Yeah, that's part of it. In order to get any work, to pay them anything, visual effects studios will take a project at a loss and... Um, so they go out of business uh, all the time. There's one um, uh, movie producer that said that if he didn't put a visual effects studio out of business on every project that he worked on, he wasn't doing his job. So um, well, that's lovely. The, the reason that this sort of came up recently is because Life of Pi won the Oscar for Best Picture and Best Visual Effects. And the company that made the tiger and did the ocean, which is you know the whole movie, mm-hmm. um, went bankrupt making it. And the visual effects studio, uh, when they were accepting their reward, were cut off in the middle of explaining that problem. So there's visual effects protests going on right now. So like you were saying, as opposed to an animation studio that owns the rights to the film and can make money on the back end, the visual effects studio for a live action movie is working on a contract basis and they're 
payment stops when the movie's finished being produced? Yeah, and often the contracts are structured in a way where um, changes to the script, the visual effects studio needs to absorb that cost. Ooh, so that any effects sucks. for shots that they do that get cut or any new shots that get put into the movie after they've started the project, they don't get paid for. Oh, fuck that. And because, because of stuff like that, the visual effects artists themselves are usually working like 70, 80 hours a week and not getting paid any overtime. It's not a, it's not a very good industry right now. My, my heart goes out to them. Nothing about this sounds pleasant. I have it. <laughs> it, it was not intentional to uh, go necessarily down this route in so much as having the interview uh, end on a sour note. It's more about just sort of... You don't of, have to end it on a sour note. No, but this can be the towards the middle, you know. No, I think, it's, and I think it is true. good that we're um, using this... Or, getting this opportunity to explain to people what's going on. I know a lot of people don't really understand the whole visual effects process or how movies are made. They just know that the Avengers was awesome and that they're making another Iron Man movie and things are going to blow up. They don't understand. I'm excited for the things that are going to blow up, to be perfectly honest. Right, but you don't... Like, the average moviegoer doesn't have an appreciation of what it takes to make those things blow up. Sure, but I think that's uh, um, part and parcel of every industry. Retrial. People don't really know what's uh, behind the... Um, shit, what's the Wizard of Oz thing behind the curtain? Man behind so the curtain. Speak. Yeah. Pay no attention! No. Speaking of which, I heard the new attention. Oz movie it was awful. Did you get to see it, Ben? I haven't seen it yet, but maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> uh, I was watching Conan one night, and, James. and Zach Braff was on, and I was like, oh, okay, why Zach what Braff? What year was this? Just the... What is Zach Braff Wait. doing that's still relevant? Yeah, Braff is back? He was in Oz the Great and Powerful. What the fuck? He plays the monkey. And so what happens is that he goes on there, and he... <laughs> I don't know if I'm willing to accept he, Zach he, Braff, he, the he primate. Says he plays the monkey. They just put his head and, like, worked his body and his likeness into this monkey character. Kind of um, like the dude who did Gollum? Andy yeah, Serkis. basically. That's I mean, that it's, guy's it, it name. Is, it, it That's is a, a neat piece trick. of trivia that I know. That's right. his name. It, it is a neat trick, but, you know... When what you if s- Zach Braff won an Oscar instead of Andy Serkis? Right. Would anyone be upset about this? <laughs> but this but this brings to a good point, I think, now, just uh, sort of bringing it back to full circle, that uh, the appreciation that should be for the tricks that are there uh, should always be given. And, you know, you, you never, don't lose sight of how a movie is made, especially in these days where we're so heavily reliant on the heavy technology that's existent. Yeah. I mean, the, the same way that you guys were taking the tape recorder over to the Casio and trying to make video game sound effects... There's probably kids out there with a pirated copy of Final Cut Pro trying to make shit blow up just like an Iron Man. They just don't do like they used to. <laughs> <laughs> no more analog, man. So I think this is a, uh, a good uh, point in the interview, actually, where we should uh, say a little goodbye. Um, thank you so much, Ben Anderson, uh, all the way live and direct from San Francisco, California, for uh, checking in with us this eve. Yeah, sorry to make you guys stay up but so late. And not a problem no, at all. No, you, you're doing made, us a favor. We made Josh Telson stay up until 2.30. It's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, let me do this this time since I'm on the show. Lost and Rewound. That's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Ben Anderson for being awesome. Yes, thank you to Ben Anderson. It's been fun.
Join us next time when we will be listening to more clips, getting very nostalgic, and laughing a whole lot. Get embarrassed with us. Lost and Rewound.